From beautiful Cape Cod, Massachusetts, this is Returns on Well-Being, the podcast that brings you the latest and best thinking from today's business and healthcare leaders. We share strategies, tactics, and information to help employers boost their bottom lines and address two of their biggest concerns, the cost of healthcare coverage and the engagement of their workforce. To guide us on this quest, here's our host, Jim Purcell. Welcome to Returns on Wellbeing. I'm Jim Purcell, and our guest today is Daryl Moon. Daryl is the founder and CEO of Orient, O-R-R-I-A-N-T. He founded Orient in 1996 to help employers achieve that goal. Prior to founding Orient, Daryl served in several executive positions managing medical and psychiatric hospitals. He also spent a decade in health insurance. Daryl is also a Forbes leadership contributor and a Vistage speaker of the world's leading CEO organization. Daryl, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thanks, Jim. It's my pleasure to be with you. Daryl, as you know, I'm writing a book regarding employee well-being, and you've been kind enough to read the first two chapters and critique, and I very much appreciated that. One of the book's tenets is that traditional workplace wellness programs have not worked. Uh, do you agree? And if so, why do you think that is? Um, I would agree wholeheartedly. Uh, so often workplace wellness programs apply what I call inept strategies like financial incentives and information. And yet we know that although you can get someone to do a task by giving someone a financial incentive, tasks don't turn into long-term behavioral change. How is what Orion does different from traditional workplace wellness programs? You know, what we do is actually quite simple. We, we take best practices of helping people change behavior and we apply them to a very large percentage of the population. So when I say best practices of behavioral change, just like a good professional therapist, mm -hmm. how they would work with their patient, which is engaging people in a very genuine, caring relationship, helping that person find their own motivation within, helping that person to break that down into specific behaviors they're willing to work on, and then providing ongoing support, helping that person to overcome the barriers that get in the way of making those changes, and then having that ongoing support go for a while, not just a couple of visits, but actually provide that ongoing accountability and support. Those are the very same principles that a good therapist or a social worker would use with a patient that they're working with. We simply apply those same best practices to a very large percentage of the workforce, particularly those who may have health risks. And by doing that, we accomplish incredible population behavior change, which then results in very significant population health improvement. So this is very different from just uh, clicking into a, a computer program and filling in the blanks. This is, sounds personal. Is that right? Very. So every single person we're working with, we're meeting them where they are. It's mm -hmm. hyper-individualized. It's about really what we call a behavioral model versus a medical model. Mm -hmm. So often the wellness industry has followed the medical treatment model of here's the problem, here's what we recommend, where 
you can't really do that if you expect people to change behaviors because those are personal and people have to decide for themselves that that's something that they really want to do. Hence, you have to meet people where they are, overcome the what we call intimidation of wellness, um, really engage the what I call reluctant majority. It's easy to get the fitness buffs involved in wellness. They love the trinkets and recognition, but that's not the group we're trying to get engaged. It's those reluctant majority who often see wellness as intimidating. They don't want to be made to feel guilty. They don't want to be browbeaten. And so it's really connecting with those people on a very genuine personal basis, helping them to recognize that this health coach actually cares about you and is interested in your welfare and well-being and is willing to support you wherever you want, wherever you want to start. Let's start there. I, I can, I can envision a obese, diabetic, depressed employee who thinks that wellness is the last thing she wants to do. Um, and <laughs> finding a good coach or mentor or whatever you call it who can connect with her to get her started on her path might sound to be key. Is that sort of the thing you do? It is. And, and having started our program with those most reluctant people, we found that in order to engage them, you have to look beyond physical activity and nutrition. Mm -hmm. you, you truly have to look at the overall well-being spectrum. So social, emotional well-being, intellectual, occupational, financial. You have to really start from wherever they want to start. And it's not about creating a complicated assessment process. It's really about just simply connecting with those people and finding out what is it that they've wanted to do, maybe have tried to do, have not been successful at doing, but what would bring them the greatest joy if they could figure out how to implement that as an ongoing behavior? It's that, really that, about yep, that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I've, I've had someone tell me that long-term behavior change is all about facilitating people to make a connection between living healthier lifestyles and their long-term goals and having it become visceral. Mm -hmm. uh, that sounds like what your coaches yep. are trying to do, right? That is. Um, isn't that terribly expensive? Actually, there's no question that if you're going to have over 50% of an entire population connecting with a coach mm -hmm. on a regular basis, right. that's going to be a lot more expensive than an app or a device or simply getting some kind of an artificial intelligence to give you some prompts and some reminders. Right. However, because we've been doing this for 20 years, we've figured out how to create this environment where there's this ongoing support and caring concern with real people at a very inefficient price point. In mm -hmm. fact, if you were to compare the coaching that we do with a lot of the coaching that's done across the country, even some of the major diet programs who offer, you know, some of the biggest names in the industry who offer health coaching and they offer it at a, a certain cost, our price point is half of what's out there being really? offered because we've created a very efficient system at connecting people with people who care and providing that ongoing support, mm -hmm. um, supported by systems that allow for the coach to have immediate access to that person's 
history, background, what are those golden nuggets that are important that the coach referred to so that the person knows that they really care about them. So by combining all those things together, we've been able to deliver personal, individualized support to very large percentages of populations at a very efficient price point. That That's amazing. Um, and, and now that we've touched on that, I... I I know then you you do too that most business leaders are focused on primarily reducing their health care coverage costs at positive ROI which we all define as a reduction of claims expense in excess of wellness program costs but it's it's been sure. elusive and uh, yet while that's one of the goals there are some other benefits from increased employee well-being aren't there Oh, no question. Productivity, less absenteeism, and probably the most important one is just a better product going out the door. Mm-hmm. The I, I regularly speak to groups of CEOs around the country, and I often will ask them how directly tied to the quality of the service or product going out the door is the health of your workforce. Mm-hmm. And without an exception, there's an incredible correlation between those two particularly the mental health. Oh, yeah. It's not just the physical, but the emotional, the mental. The, yeah, you know, it all plays into that. And reduced turnover, which uh, people don't think of, but if you have a 20% turnover each year, the dollar amount from that can be astonishing. It can, especially if, um, and there are many companies who have a lot of turnover that, they just expect to invest a lot of money in recruiting and training new employees. It's so rare that uh, CEOs and boards of directors view employee well-being as a top strategic priority, right? Way too often it gets pushed down to the low end of the totem pole, yes. Which uh, I, it's hard to describe the vice president of HR as the low end of the totem pole, but uh, as as we all know, HR generally is risk averse and is not into making uh, broad strategic changes. Um, tell me, uh, what kind of results has Orion achieved with its client organizations? So, if if you go back and take a look at every company we've ever worked with that's been with us for three years or more, as you combine all of their data. And you, and you simply look at biometric data. So it's not self-reported data. You just look at the information that you literally test for, blood pressure, objective, glucose, objective cholesterol ratio, objective data. And you say, okay, what has been the health change of not just a few really good examples or case studies, but literally every client that's ever implemented this program? Mm-hmm. If you look at things through two different perspectives, one being the same cohort, so you only look at the people who were tested pre and post, the average increase in the overall health and well-being of the 60% of the population who started off with health risks has been 7.4% increase. And if you then take the subset of that 60% who represent the most at risk in the population, the improved biometrics is 15%. Now, if you look at the 40% who weren't, who didn't have health risks, who really didn't have that ongoing working relationship with a coach, Mm 
they could if they wanted to, but they were, they were already healthy, so they pretty much just wanted to stay the same. Their combined biometric change was pretty much stayed the same. It got slightly worse because it's three years later, so 1.7% decrease in their overall health and well-being. But the 60% who were working with a health coach actually improved their combined biometrics by 7.4%. And that's across every company. And there's never been a company in that pool who didn't see an increase in the health of that 60%. Yep. So it's not that there's just been a few really successful companies, but it's been a perfect track record of moving those with risks to improved health. Now, if you look at it through a different perspective and you simply say, okay, three years ago, what percent of the entire workforce and their spouses could meet a company health standard? And then what happened three years later? Did that percent of people who were healthy increase? And what we've seen is that, again, across all those companies, the percent increase of those who are healthy increased by 23% and moved from 40% pretty close to 50%. So workforces have become healthier and more productive by implementing a very robust program using best practices amongst a large percentage of the population. Mm. And I believe you have... If you take a look at some of our... Go ahead. If you take a look at some of our clients where we do get cost impact, we have a client that's been on the program for well over a decade, they've seen a negative 15% claims trend over the course of a decade by having this program implemented. And that's pretty rare in any company in this country over the last it is. 10 years to see a declining trend of claims versus an increasing trend That's remarkable. Um, I believe you have published some of the results on your website, right? We have, uh-huh. And uh, I, I've looked at that, and the, the results are impressive. But uh, any time you can reduce, not just mitigate the increases, but reduce the cost of your health care coverage, that is remarkable, and that's something to shoot for. Uh, one of the points... Well, and I'm a firm believer, Jim, just, just so ahead. you know my stance, I truly believe that health care should cost half as much as it does today. And there's certainly okay. strategies that can be implemented that can create that outcome. And um, that was the subject of a book by Joe Flowers, and he wrote a book, Healthcare Right at Half the Cost, and you were the subject in the chapter, weren't you? He did. He included a section on some of the interventions that we created, and uh, it was fun to be recognized in his book. Yep, and I know it embarrasses you, but what did he call you? The Remarkable Mr. Moon or <laughs> something like that? The Magic of Mr. Moon. <laughs> the, ma- the Magic of Mr. Moon. Matt. And, you know, and, and uh, Joe makes a number of good points. He he, uh, he is very emphatic about that, but uh, you ought to be proud of that. Um, one of the points I make in my book is the need for a culture and environment of well-being. Uh, do you see that as important, and if so, why? Oh, I think it's critical. I, I'm a firm believer that it, from a business leadership standpoint, any successful organization needs to, what I call, balance the four S's. And when I define what those four S's are. One is the served, so whoever you're serving, the the customers, the clientele, uh, they're incredibly important. But the server, which is your own workforce, those who are providing the service, they're just as important. 
And then the third S is the sender. Who's sending you business? Who's referring to you? Who's paying you to provide the service to whoever's being served? And then fourth, the solvency of the organization. So if an organization can't balance those four customers and have ongoing monitoring and support to maximize and enhance each of those four, um, companies not going to be successful. Uh, let's talk about CEOs and leadership. I know that you speak to CEOs through programs put on by Vistage and others. Uh, tell us about, you know, what you've observed about CEO leadership in the wellness and well-being arena and what you tell CEOs. So one of the questions I always ask CEOs after we kind of talk about the healthcare system and why it's so broken is, why are you willing to spend so much money on healthcare. Warren Buffett described GM, General Motors, as a health and benefits company that has a division that makes cars. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at Starbucks, for example, they spend more on health benefits than they do on coffee. Mm -hmm. So I love to ask CEOs the question, here you're willing to spend the second largest cost of doing business on healthcare and healthcare benefits, have you ever asked yourself the question, what do you want? Why do you spend all this money? And for goodness sakes, what do you want for investing such a huge amount of your business in this? And I believe that in most cases, nobody's even ever asked them that question. Mm -hmm. And I'm always startled as to how that takes them back as a question that seems so basic. If you're willing to spend this money, what is it that you want? And they always tell me the same four things. One is they want to attract and retain good employees that are productive and that help them to move their company forward. So clearly attracting and retaining good employees is a primary reason why benefits are offered. Second is they want a healthcare system to be there when their employees get in trouble. You know, if they find themselves with health problems, is there a system there that can help them to put them back together? And for the most part, our healthcare system does those two things fairly well. But they always ask for two additional things. They always say that for the money they're spending, they want a healthy, productive workforce. Mm -hmm. And they say they don't want the system to cost an arm and a leg. And without exception, everyone agrees that the system is horrible at producing those two outcomes. Right. Usually when you have an economic system where you've got free market forces, you get better value at a better price. And that doesn't happen in healthcare. Uh, what advice do you have for CEOs who may be listening to this podcast regarding the health and well-being of their employees? What, what, what should they be thinking about? So, so the message I give CEOs, and, and when I get the answer, okay, this is what you want, I ask, who have you aligned incentives with to give you that? Who gets to make more money when you have a healthier, more productive workforce that's less expensive to insure? Do you give your benefit director and a compensation package that has any kind of incentive where they get to make more money if they help you find that outcome? Mm -hmm. And I've only had one out of thousands of CEOs that actually did that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I ask is, okay, what about the relationship you have with your benefits consultant? Does that benefits consultant have a fee structure with you to where they get to make more money when you have a more healthy, productive workforce that's less expensive to insure? No. 
What about the healthcare insurance companies? What about the hospitals? What about the doctors? Is anybody out there aligned with you financially to bring to you a healthy, more productive, higher well-being workforce? And the answer is no. And so the first thing that any business leader should do is turn that around and start creating incentives for those that have the greatest influence in that outcome and give them a compensation package where they get to be incented by producing that. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, all of a sudden, you create the atmosphere where people have an, a, a true desire to really look at that and, be, and bring that to the forefront of the company as something that's important so that the culture of the company begins to be addressing health and well-being. But as you know, having run a company before, it, it, it just becomes a secondary issue driving the strategic plan of the company, which often does not include well-being and health and productivity, becomes the primary objective of the organization. You need a CEO to really do this. I, it seems to me that um, uh, unless this, this becomes the passionate, persistent um, objective led by the CEO, it doesn't get done. True. There's no question that when you look at various companies and you look to see how important well-being is within the company, it's often a direct reflection on the passion of the CEO yep. and how much does the CEO see it as important. They're often quite healthy themselves, mm -hmm. and they want their employees to be healthy as well. But they miss that fundamental business strategy of building in some kind of compensation incentive for those who have the greatest influence to actually get to make more money by creating a more healthy workforce. Mm -hmm. That's the piece that they often so they so often forget. Right. Now, Orient, uh, or Orion clearly takes the position that to work, programs must empower employees to care for their own health. How do you facilitate that? How do you get them to the point where they know enough and are incented to do that? So, again, I call those the reluctant majority. So there's always a few fitness buffs, but the, the majority of personnel at a work site are generally fall into kind of a reluctant majority category. And they don't want to be browbeaten. They don't want to be made to feel guilty. They often are intimidated by wellness. Mm -hmm. They know, it's not like they don't know what they need to do, but they're often busy doing other things. And so in order to connect with those reluctant majority, you have to speak their language and you have to help them be sure to understand that no one's going to browbeat them. No one's going to make them feel guilty. They're going to be the captain of the ship and they get to decide what to work on and how much they're going to work on it and mm -hmm. to the degree that they're going to work on it. Yep. And when you simply make it at that level, something that is very doable and it's not about biting off huge chunks. It's really about just addressing small incremental progress over a long period of time. You really can move a large percentage of the reluctant majority. You'll never move everybody. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be those that don't get engaged. But you can move over 50% of the reluctant majority at truly making lifestyle changes and behavior changes by connecting with them. Oh, that, that'd be huge. Um, now, you work with brokers like uh, Paul Clark of Clark & Levy. How does that work? We do. In fact, Paul's a great example of a consultant that thinks outside the box, who understands the importance of wellness and well-being. And uh, actually, we've got a number of clients together 
Paul's good at giving us a lot of information, feeding us a lot of data that helps us as we work with a client and implement strategies with a client. And truly when the consultant is aligned with the employer and sees the value of improving the well-being of the workforce, then all of the benefit offerings that come to the table work together to that end. And they keep it front and center for the client. Mm -hmm. I interviewed Mr. Clark last week, and he had high praise for Orion and you. Um, said that you're a terrific oh, that's kind. partner. Yeah. Um, many CEOs and boards have sort of given up hope of putting a dent in their health care coverage costs. Uh, in, in, in your view, I, I, and I think I know the answer to this, but uh, is this problem solvable? Do you still think there's some hope for them, and what hope would you give them? I, I truly... I believe the biggest problem in America economically, and I think healthcare is our largest industry that grows the fastest. One of our biggest problems in America is there is that black cloud of pessimism mm -hmm. about controlling healthcare costs. Exactly. I truly believe that most leaders in, in industry believe there's nothing they can do. Therefore, they, they basically turn it over to the government to kind of try to figure things out. Mm -hmm. When in fact, there is a plethora of solution providers out there in this healthcare innovation space who have incredible solutions who that have worked significantly well at driving down the cost of healthcare to be half as much as we currently spend. The problem is, is that all the incentives in the system are perversely aligned to where the industry has no interest and no incentive to bring those solutions to light and to the CEOs. It's, it's a perverse incentive system where until the CEOs start turning the incentives to their benefit, you know, he who has the gold rules, well, until those who have the gold begin to use the gold to get what they want and really drive what they want through incentives, both to their consultants, to their HR directors, to the healthcare system, they're not going to see the kinds of results that are extremely possible. There, there are solutions out there just waiting to be implemented that will drive down the cost of health care to be half of what it currently is. Well, that concludes our discussion for today. Uh, thank you so much, Daryl. It was a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to Returns on Wellbeing. To subscribe to this podcast series, visit www.returnsonwellbeing.com, where you'll find resources to help organizational leaders achieve tangible returns on well-being.